This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Uh, this is Mike Yuseem. I'm with uh, my colleague Adam Grant, and today we're going to talk with Alex Gorski, Chief Executive and Chair of the Board of Johnson & Johnson, a company with about 130,000 employees. It's part of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, annual revenue somewhere north of $70 billion in 250 companies around the world. Uh, Alex, uh, welcome. And today I'm going to just jump right in with a question about uh, some of the tougher decisions you've made. In fact, let me make it the toughest decision that you've made in the last year or so. If you could just describe the decision, what, what were the conflicting concerns, and then how did you work that one through, uh, given the fact that you lead a rather large company? Well, hey, Mike. And Adam, thank you, first of all, very much for having me here. And on behalf of all the employees of Johnson & Johnson, I'm really proud to be here to be able to talk to you about some of the issues. And thank you for all the things that you're doing here at Wharton. Now, Mike, fortunately or unfortunately during my career, I've had a chance to be part of some pretty significant decisions along the way, be it strategic, business, operational. Uh, but I've got to say, I think some of the most challenging and probably the most challenging has been as it relates to very significant organizational and people changes within our company. And um, particularly when you know that uh, this is something that can impact employees' future, uh, that can affect families. Those are things that uh, you always want to do with a lot of thought, with a lot of care, and a lot of empathy. Um, and uh, so th those types of decisions for me personally have always been some of the most challenging. And um, you know, there's a few things that we try to do. Obviously, the first is make sure that you've got the right team around you. Um, you know, so many of the decisions that ultimately end their, wind their way to me have by and large been decided by a great group of leaders who have a tremendous amount of responsibility in terms of their businesses and the organizations that they represent. Two, it's to make sure that as you're going through and making those decisions that you provide an atmosphere where you can really have debate, where you can really have challenge, where there's not just a preordained recommendation and frankly, where one plus one can equal four or five in the whole decision-making process. Uh, and I've always found that encouraging a diversity of opinion by different members, sometimes even challenging people to come in and argue the opposite of the direction that we're heading uh, to really make sure that you've thought through the implications. And then last but not least, it's once you've made that decision, recognizing that there's going to be different points of view of getting full alignment around your leadership team so that you have, you're speaking then in one voice and in a common direction. And um, you know, that's what I've seen be some of the, one of the biggest challenges, but that's the way that we tried to deal with it to make sure that um, you know, we're ultimately making the best decisions for the company and all of our stakeholders. Great, thank you, Alex. Alex, is there an example that stands out, particularly when it comes to challenging people to bring different opinions or maybe even argue for the opposite of what they believe, where you were able to stimulate that and it had a positive effect? Yeah, you know, there's, I've had a number along the way, but I think, you know, one in particular that stands out for me, you know, related to, you know, one of our products where we were making a specific recommendation about it on the market. And there was a lot of pressure tied to the issue. And right before we actually made that decision, I remember calling our chief counsel that night and I said, you know, I'd like you 
to talk to a law firm and actually had them argue the opposite point of view. So we actually went ex- outside the company, you know, and, and had them. And what I found through that process was we, we ended up staying in the right decision, but it made sure that I think we had much more confidence and conviction in the particular position that we took uh, by taking that pause. You know, I think that as a senior executive, yes, you want to be decisive, but you also have got to realize the impact that your decisions can have. And so I think taking that extra moment, having that extra challenge is good practice. Alex, you came out of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, took a job pretty much at the ground level in a unit at Johnson & Johnson. And in your first job, as I recall, you led nobody. You were pretty much on your own, uh, but you moved up 30, 300, 3,000, and now 130,000. Question about how you've had to change your leadership style, going from nobody to a few, then a lot, and now over 100,000. How has your thinking about leadership evolved? What's different now from the way you would have led, say, 10 years ago in the way you operate? Sure, Mike. Well, your leadership does need to evolve as you move through an organization. And uh, I think there's a lot of lessons you learn. Some that I've learned along the way is number one is learning the importance of it's not really what I do, but it's about what the people who you work with do and working through others. I think that's one of the biggest challenges facing managers, learning that skill where you're no longer the individual contributor, but you're contributing by bringing together a group of people who have different skills, different capabilities, and working through them to accomplish a particular task. Um, and uh, I see that as you know being a, a significant challenge facing many leaders as they move through an organization. That was certainly one for me. The second one is really understanding the global impact of your decision. When you're starting in one particular area and you have a rather local impact, to today where every decision you have can have an impact globally. You know, from Mumbai to Minneapolis, uh, from Warsaw, uh, you know, to Miami, and always considering what that true global impact of a particular decision can be. And I would say, last but not least, it's about, you know, always trying to predict uh, what the strategic implications are. So what are the second or third order consequences of a particular decision versus the immediate impact? Um, you know, Johnson & Johnson, fortunately, is a company that's been around for over 126 years. And I'm always trying to think about what is it over the next 10 years, not the next just one year or two years. And certainly, there's always an issue du jour that we're working on. But I'm trying to think about what, is, what are the decisions that we can make, what are the directions we can go that is going to c- continue our track record of sustainability for the next decade, for the, uh, for the next 100 years. Right. Alex, you're known not only as somebody who cares a lot about developing leaders, but also about your leaders developing leaders below them. How do you figure out, one, who those people are that are likely to be good at leadership development, and, and two, what do you actually teach them? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I do believe that one of the best indicators of leadership is a leader's track record in developing leaders. And um, I, uh, I will frequently focus on three areas when I'm interviewing or when I'm talking to people. And one is certainly on performance, because you always want to have leaders who are committed to high performance and good markets, bad markets, diverse global markets, handling a wide range of different scenarios. Secondly, I always focus on what's their track record of developing future leaders. And uh, one of my favorite questions is to ask people, you know, name the three or four leaders that if I went out and asked you know, them 
who had the biggest impact on their career and how they do that, who are those four people that you would name? And at a senior level, if they can't name three or four fairly senior level people, then immediately I question their wherewithal in people development. And last, I'll ask, how do they move their businesses? How do they develop talent with our credo in mind? And uh, so for me, it gives me an indication of how committed they are to developing individuals, to developing teams, you know, and frankly, figuring out how to work through others to get their jobs done. You know, Alex, as people look at a high office, whether community, the mayor, a company, chief executive, the country, the president, uh, people are looking in and sometimes their perceptions are on the money and sometimes they're wrong. Being inside that room at Johnson & Johnson, what do you think is the perception of leadership in general, maybe leadership in particular, in your own experience that turns out to be most incorrect? Where do people looking at leaders often not see what's really there the way they ought to? Well, I think that one of the, um, one of the most significant myths about leadership is that you know, the, the top leader is there then to just make the decision versus taking much more of a service-oriented approach that, in fact, know you are in service to many of those who, in fact, are going to be impacted by your decision. And, um, you know, and I can tell you right now that I, I definitely um, approach the job from the latter and uh, always trying to understand the consequences, the implications that your decisions are going to have on your different stakeholders, ranging from customers, the communities that you work in, your shareholders, your employees, all the people that, you know, that, that might be touched. And, and learning that at the end of the day, we're really in service to them. And that uh, the jobs that we do, the roles that we hold, uh, have got to be ultimately to helping all of those stakeholders realize their objectives. And, um, and I think, you know, frequently it's, it's not about the, the, quote, boss making a certain decision. It's about the decisions we make in service of those stakeholders that's really important. So, Alex, building on that, what is the success or accomplishment over your career that you're most proud of? You know, I think the, the, the thing that I'm most proud of um, uh, are the great leaders that I've had a chance to work with along the way uh, who have gone on to uh, take great positions of responsibility and, frankly, make a difference uh, within J&J &J and, of course, in, in other areas as well. Um, you know, I've had a, a, the opportunity to work with a broad number of people through my, you know, several decades now. And uh, frankly, starting with my time in the military, uh, starting with my time uh, as a coach uh, with my son's teams to my time at Johnson & Johnson, sometime at Novartis as well. There's nothing that gives me greater satisfaction than uh, knowing that people have been able to go on and uh, frankly do a lot of good things uh, for patients, for consumers along the way. Uh, that's a great deal of satisfaction. And, and of course, most importantly, just knowing that the products and the services that we're offering every day hopefully are helping people live longer, healthier, and happier lives. Uh, that, uh, that's a great sense of satisfaction. Alex, uh, a question for people who are just coming into leadership responsibilities. So think about the first job when you had responsibility for others. I think maybe even later on, but especially for those who are first taking on a significant leadership role, from your own experience, what are the one or two lines of advice that you'd like to pass on to them so they can get to where they want to get to in taking on that leadership obligation? Look, I think a couple of things. One I would say is what's really important for early leaders is to be themselves. 
You know, so often leaders get into a role and they maybe have some ideal of what it is to be a leader that they try to be. And I think the most important thing that a new leader can have stepping into a role is humility, is understanding that they're going to learn, that they're going to make mistakes, and uh, to you know approach the scenarios something where they're going to have to grow into. And, um, and I think having that kind of a mindset uh, will immediately endear the people who are working with you and around you. They're not looking for a perfect leader. They want a leader that cares about them and who's going to help them try to be better. And uh, I think as a new leader, if you remember that, uh, that they expect you to be human, that you're going to make mistakes, uh, and that as long as you learn and, and care for the people who are working with you, I think that's the most important thing that you can do. Quick final add-on question on that. Um, as you come to lead more and more people, uh, high touch becomes more difficult. You've got people all over the world. And thus, the tone you set at the top, the culture, the ethics, the values become critical. Johnson & Johnson has a very famous credo, 300 and a few words that say, we're here on earth to serve uh, people that need our products, great community, great employment setting, and then we work for shareholders as well. Uh, when I was in your headquarters a couple years ago, I noticed that that credo is carved in stone on the main floor of headquarters. What happens if you want to change the credo? Well, look, Mike, as you know, that the, the credo is our aspiration at Johnson & Johnson, you know, written over 70 years ago by General Robert Wood Johnson himself. It's been a great source of inspiration, and uh, it does outline our responsibilities to our different stakeholders, all that you mentioned, customers, employees, communities, as well as, you know, shareholders, ultimately. And, um, and, and through the years, there have been a few times when it has been updated, uh, but the core principles are something that we don't think should change. And, um, you know, as I stepped into this role, just as my predecessors, I think one of the first things we've always tried to do is reaffirm our commitment to those core principles embodied in that document. Now, I think as, as we, what's more important for me, us in the organization is how we bring that credo to life and how do you make sure that every day when decisions are made in many different areas around the world and different business organizations, that the credo remains kind of our moral compass, the glue that holds us together. And that's something that we constantly reinforce through town hall meetings, through outreach programs. In fact, just this year, it's the 70th anniversary of our credo. We're having a credo challenge sessions where every board of the 250 companies that you mentioned earlier is challenging the relevance of our credo and going through it line by line. And I think it's through that as you keep that alive in the organization, again, which we think is incredibly important to make sure that we do the right thing. It's all about leading people, it's all about leading values, and it's all about sustaining the culture. So Alex, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Alex. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.